Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever thought that God should have healed you or someone else that you love and he didn't? Have you tried to truly pray from the heart for a season yet got no real response from God? Have you felt that God's rules were overly restrictive and that you were discouraged or angry at the way that God was always saying, thou shalt not? Have you felt that God's not done enough to curb evil in this world or to protect you or those you love from sin and its influences? Do you feel like your life should have turned out differently than it's turning out or than it has turned out? And do you feel like God could have done something to help make it better? Last week we talked about how when we're going on a journey with Jesus, our journey of faith, we must keep journeying with Jesus or we will not make it to our destination. Now I need to clarify something that was not as clear last week as perhaps I would have liked it to be. I do believe in eternal security and meaning that is if God has called you by name, like John 10 talks about, and he summoned you into his family and he has given you new birth, there is no way for you to be unborn again. There is no way for you to lose that salvation that he's given you. But that's viewing salvation from God's point of view. When we view salvation from our point of view, it's a journey. It's a journey that we choose to, by faith, follow Jesus. And if you do not continue to follow Jesus on the journey of faith, you will not make it to the destination. One of the greatest evidences that God has indeed given you new life is the fact that you continue with Jesus. If you abandon Jesus and continue to abandon Jesus, that is evidence that you never were truly born again. And those who continue to journey with Jesus are the ones who inherit God's kingdom. And the point is, if you don't keep going with Jesus, you won't make it. But one of the main reasons why people abandon Jesus on the journey of faith, one of the main reasons why people stop journeying with Jesus is disappointment or anger, or frustration with God. It's when we feel like God let us down or didn't do what we wanted him to do or didn't do what he should have done. Now, I'm not saying that this is one of the main reasons why people don't come to faith in the first place. I'm saying that those who have begun a journey with Jesus, one of the main reasons why they throw it away or they abandon or they want nothing more to do with them is because of some disappointment or anger or frustration with God. That maybe you think that God has not been clear enough or given clear enough evidence that he created the world out of nothing as opposed to it simply evolving from some stuff. Maybe you started on your journey of faith and you felt the joy of your salvation and you expected that joy would just continue in ever-increasing measure. And when the depressive thoughts and feelings returned, you felt like God abandoned you, that God did not do what he promised he would do. 
Perhaps you felt like if you were going to journey with Jesus on this journey of faith that he would eradicate all of your sinful desires and you would find it ever increasingly easy to obey God and yet your experience has been just the opposite. The stronger you be, the longer you're with Jesus, the harder it is to do what is right sometimes. Perhaps you feel like, look, if I choose to serve God, if I choose to give my life not for my own self but to God, then I should never experience burnout or betrayal and everything at church should go well and that's not been your experience. And you're wondering, God, why didn't you do it this way? Why did you allow the church that I love to fall apart? Why did you allow all of my service to simply be pushed aside and ignored? It's easy to become disappointed, angry, frustrated with God, to look at the journey that we've been on, to look at the valleys we've been through or the ones we're in right now and say, look, God, why don't you do something about this? If you're really there, why don't you show up and rescue me? And if you're here this morning and you're currently disappointed with God or you're angry with God or you've been through a season of frustration with God, I have a word of encouragement for you. It's a word of encouragement from Hebrews chapter six. So please, if you have a Bible, would you turn to Hebrews chapter six? Hebrews six, it's page 970 in the Bibles the church provides. Hebrews chapter six, we're going to look at verses 13 through 20. But in order to get the context, I'm going to jump back into verses 11 and 12 to kind of set up what we're going to hear in verses 13 through 20. But before we look at this, let's pray and ask once again that the Lord would speak through his word. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Father, we have gathered here, and if we're honest, many of us are disappointed or discouraged or frustrated. Lord, if we're honest, we're like Job, and we want to say, God, come down here and answer my questions. Lord, if we're honest, we want to say, uh, Lord God, why? Why are you doing this this way? And so, Lord, we've come and we're here this morning, but we want to open your word, and Lord, we need you to speak to us. Uh, God, give us a word of encouragement, and I pray for any today who are especially burdened with anger or frustration or disappointment, God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, they would hear your voice speaking to their hearts because we're asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look back at verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews 6 to kind of set the context. Hebrews 6, the part we looked at last week, was about how we need to keep journeying with Jesus. And the author said, verse 11, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Two options on the journey of faith when we're journeying with Jesus. Now, when I say journey of faith, I can either mean the sort of mini journeys of faith that each of us go through in different seasons of life. Maybe it's a financial crisis or a health situation or a difficulty with a child or a parent or a friend. But I also mean the journey of faith, meaning the big journey of faith, meaning our entire Christian life. And the point is, as the author of Hebrews is saying, is that you got two choices. When things go rough on the journey of faith, you can either choose laziness, which is just give the whole thing up, 
quit, stop fighting, stop journeying, abandon Jesus, or faith and patience. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look, look at others who have been on journeys of faith before you. Look at how they journeyed and how it turned out for them. Look at how they exercised faith and patience and how it paid off for them. And the example that the author of Hebrews wants to use is that of Abraham. Look in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So after waiting, what? Patiently, Abraham received what was promised. The author of Hebrews says, those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Abraham is the example. He says, well, let's take a look at Abraham, who through faith and patience inherit what, inherited what was God had promised to him. Now think with me about the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham really be begins in Genesis chapter 12. At that time, Abraham is 75 years old. And if you're 75 years old and here this morning, you think that God is done with you. I just want to encourage you, he started with Abraham at 75. And at 75, God shows up to Abraham and says, he gives him a promise, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants. And through your descendants, I'm going to cause you to be a blessing to the whole world. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a great name. It's a beautiful, amazing promise. But every promise of God is also a summons to a journey. Every promise of God is an invitation to come with God on a journey of faith. And Abraham's is a literal journey. God says to Abraham, leave your home, leave your family, and come with me on a journey of faith. And at 75 years old, Abraham leaves behind everything that he knows because God made him a promise. And he begins to journey with Jesus. Now, it's not very far into the journey where Abraham takes a detour. He goes from the land God gave him down into Egypt, and in Egypt, instead of continuing to believe that God would take care of him, Abraham decided to take matters into his own hands. Worried for his safety, he tries to pass his wife off as his sister. Pharaoh says, well, I'd like to date your sister, and this is about to go very badly. <clears throat> it's because Abraham has left the path of faith. God, who promised he would take care of him, Abraham has abandoned God, but God in his mercy and in his grace calls Abraham back to the journey, calls Abraham back to the path of faith, which shows that those who are truly born again, those who are truly following Jesus, there are detours we all go on, but we come back to be with Jesus and to walk with God, and Abraham comes back on the journey of faith, but he's still journeying. 11 years go by, he's 86 years old. He's 86 years old and his wife comes up with an idea for him to sleep with her servant. Maybe this is a way that you can have a child because Abraham has no physical descendants at this point. <clears throat> Abraham has a child through his wife's servant, Hagar, 86 years old. But God says, that's not how I wanted to fulfill my promise to you. 
That's your son, but that's not how I want to fulfill my promise to you. And so we wait another 13 years until Abraham is 99 years old. And at that point, God says, let me show you my miraculous power. And he gives a biological child to Abraham and Sarah. That child is the child that God had promised. It's the child of promise, meaning that when God said, I will give you descendants, Isaac, that child, is the fulfillment or the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. But the journey's not over. We don't know exactly how much later, let's say 10 years later, God says to Abraham, that boy, that baby boy that you love that I gave you, your son, I want you to take him to a mountain I'm going to show you and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And the idea is, is on the journey of faith, Abraham, will you trust me with what's most precious to you? Will you trust me with the boy that you desperately love? Will you trust me with your future? Will you trust me with all of your hopes and all of your dreams? And Abraham, by faith, reasoned in his mind that God, who had taken him so far on this journey, that that same God who had given him this boy could raise that boy from the dead. And so Abraham chose God over Isaac and over everything else. At that moment, when Abraham offers his son Isaac back to God and God says, now I know. At that point, the author of Hebrews says, God then swore an oath to Abraham. Not in Genesis 12, that's when he makes him a promise. Genesis 22, he swears an oath and he says, I swear to you, Abraham, that I will give you many descendants. And at that point, what Abraham has at Genesis 22, he not only has his son, which is the promise, he has an absolute inviolable guarantee that nothing's going to happen to the boy. Because Abraham has had his faith tested. He has given his son back to God and he has effectively watched God raise his child from the dead. Now Abraham knows not only do I have a child, he now knows nothing can ever harm this boy because God will take care of him. And it's at that point that Hebrew says he begins to receive the fulfillment of the promise. But here's the point. It was 34 years after the promise was given. 34 years after the promise was given. And the question we ask is, well, what happened if Abraham had stayed in Egypt? What happened if Abraham had abandoned Sarah to Pharaoh? What happened if Abraham had decided to divorce Sarah and go his own way and have nothing to do with her? What, had, what would have happened if Abraham would have refused to sacrifice Isaac? Now you can say from one point of view, well, God wouldn't have let that happen. And that's fine. I hear that. But from the point of view of the scriptures, Abraham is held up as an example. He's not an automaton who just simply does whatever he's predestined to do. Abraham chooses faith. He chooses to believe. He chooses to keep going with God on this journey of faith. And even though he makes a detour in Egypt, even though everything doesn't go perfectly, along the way he makes the choice not to take the lazy solution, which is just to abandon God. He chooses the hard solution, which is by faith and patience to keep going, to keep waiting, to keep journeying with God. 
that when he can't see how it's going to work, when he has no idea how an old man's going to give birth to a little baby, when he has no idea how in the world can this work if I sacrifice the boy, he chooses to believe and to wait, knowing that the one who made the promise is faithful. And the author of Hebrews says, look what he received. He not only got a son, he got absolute proof that God would take care of that boy all his life. That Abraham could lay his head down and rest in peace because he knew that, hey, look, I've already faced death with this, with this child and God has shown up and not let that happen. Abraham has absolute proof and he obtains what was promised. And the point is, the same thing is true for you and for me. Verse 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. God is saying, listen, now he's speaking here not about Abraham, but about us. Abraham's the example we're supposed to look at, but he's talking now to you and I. He's saying, because God wants to make it very, very clear that what he has promised is going to come to fulfillment, he did two things by which it is impossible for him to lie. Number one, he gave us his word. He said to us, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's a promise from the word of God. It cannot be broken. God is saying, if by faith you will come with me on this journey, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will take you from where you are to a place of my heavenly rest. And the second thing he gave us is that he swore an oath. Now, he didn't need to. God's word is true. But he wanted to make it so very clear that he was going to fulfill the promises he makes to us in Jesus that in the blood of Jesus, he swore an oath saying, I swear to you that I will do this. What that means is it's impossible for God to lie. God has sworn. Well, who does God swear to? We want to swear to God. Who does he swear to? He swears to himself. Which means, if he were to fail to fulfill this promise, he would cease to exist. This is why it's impossible for God to lie. He already made the promise in the word, but to show us just how absolutely secure this promise is, he swore an oath. This oath is to you and I, and the oath is, I swear to you, you will receive the promise. And so the word of encouragement as we're on the journey of faith, the word of encouragement, if you're disappointed with God or if you're angry with God or you're frustrated with God, the word of encouragement is, I swear to you, God says, good is coming. 
I swear to you that everything I have promised you is coming. More than you can ever imagine. More than you can ever hope for. All of the pain, all of the tears, gone. All of the sin, gone. All of the frustrations, the the relationships that you've lost in Jesus, restored. Joy, peace, eternal life, an eternal kingdom, reward for our hard work, comfort for our sorrows, absolute love. All this stuff God says, I swear to you, it's coming. I promise you it's coming. I swear it on an oath. If any way all of that doesn't come, God has to cease to exist. But the point is, is it hasn't come yet. Every promise is an invitation to go on a journey of faith. And God says, you're going to have to wait. Those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Now we do get a taste of it. That's what it means when it says in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Jesus has already gone through death and we already are being given little tastes of what this great promise is going to look like. What I mean, let me give you an analogy that might help explain this. How many of you have ever found yourself waiting in line for a meal and it feels like the line is not moving? You ever find yourself in that situation? It's easy to grow frustrated and think we're never going to get any food. They're never going to call our table or this line is just not going to move. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, we have a dinner here on Wednesday nights. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, my kids, we show up for the dinner and we come out of my office at about five o'clock and the line is snaked around the hallway and it looks like that line is never going to move. Now, part of it is that often happens on nights where uh, the kitchen staff is grilling things because it's impossible to grill that much food all at once. But partly it happens because people have queued up in the line before five o'clock and near five o'clock, it feels like this thing is never going to move. But now imagine that there was somebody, you're waiting in line on Wednesday night because it's a fantastic deal, a promise of amazing food, which it is, for a really inexpensive price, which it is. Imagine that you're waiting in line and someone in the front of the line actually goes through because where you're standing in the line, you know, it kind of goes around the hallway. You don't, you can't really see what's happening at the front of the line. Imagine that somebody standing at the front of the line actually goes in, gets their food. Maybe you see them through the doorway and they're eating happily. But imagine that they come out and they bring you a taste. And they come out and they give you the taste and they say, this is what's waiting for you. And you taste it and you say, wow, that's amazing. That's great. And they say, look, I've already begun to eat it. I promise you it's going to be great. This is what's happening here. The line that we're waiting in, according to Hebrews, is the line for salvation, the line for our rescue, all the things that God has promised us, a heavenly banquet in which we get to experience love and peace, forgiveness in which we are no longer any pain or tears, no more death, no more crying, none of that. Now there is, we're standing in a line waiting. There's somebody who's in the front of the line and his name is Jesus and he's already gone through into heaven. That's what it means that he's gone behind the curtain. The idea is that Jesus has already gone through death to the heavenly banquet. And at the heavenly banquet, he is experiencing all of the glory and the honor that goes with him being in heaven. But he comes to us and he gives us little tastes. 
This is why the passage in Hebrews about come to the throne of grace that you might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is saying, Lord, I'm waiting in line. I need a taste. I need a taste of what's coming so I can stick with this. And Jesus, who has already gone through to the other side, comes and brings us tastes. Tastes of grace, tastes of mercy, tastes of joy, tastes of happiness. And the point is, is the taste is not the meal. It's the encouragement. Keep waiting. This line ends in that meal. Anything that you've experienced so far in your Christian life, any joy, any grace, any mercy, any encouragement, any hope, any, any healthy relationships, any experience of being able to see God present, that's a beautiful thing. But God's point is, it's only a taste. And the point is, God says, I swear to you, the rest is coming. I promise you that meal that you're waiting for is going to so blow your mind. You have no idea how amazing it is. But there's two things about being in line. Number one, you can't get out of line. If you get out of line, you don't get the food. If you get out of line, you don't eat the meal. The point is, if you stop journeying with Jesus, you will not eat the heavenly feast. That was the point of last week's sermon. This week's sermon is saying, there's a second thing that happens when you're standing in that line. How many of you, when you're standing in the line waiting for food, do what I do, which is immediately begin to think of all the ways we could improve this so there was no line? Yeah? How many of you, like me, if you're honest, will say, whoever designed this must be inept? Because if they knew what they were doing, there wouldn't be a line. Or think to yourself, I'm too important or too busy. I can't be waiting in this line. Or get angry with people in front of you that say, look, if you would just move forward another six inches, then I can move forward another six inches. And then it would feel like we're moving even though we're not. And when someone is talking and a gap begins to open up, you're like, hey, move, come on, we gotta close the gap. Now, why do we do that? It's because we think we know better how this is supposed to work. And the point is, as we're standing in line waiting for salvation, it's very easy to say to God, look, if you knew what you were doing, there wouldn't be any line. There wouldn't be any waiting. It's easy to say to God, Look, God, why can't I have an explanation right now for how faith and science work together in a way that is academically credible? Why can't it be cool to be a Christian now? Why do I have to wait for that? Why can't I hear from you now, well done, good and faithful servant? And as you stand in the line, it's easy to think, God, why can't I be free of this spiritual warfare? Why can't I be free of this financial crisis? Why can't I be free of all these things now? Why do we have to wait? And we often get disappointed or angry or frustrated with God because we think if I was in charge I wouldn't do it this way and there wouldn't be a line but the point is you have to submit to the line you've got to submit to the person who designed how the food works you might not want a line but he chose one and Hebrews is saying those who through faith and patience meaning those who allow God to be God those who, even though we think we know better how it's supposed to work, who say, God, not my will, but yours be done. You see our disappointment 
our anger, our frustration with God. Those are valid feelings. It's the same feeling why when you get in the line, you want to do everything possible to make that line move forward. That is a valid human emotion. It's valid to be discouraged with God. It's valid to be frustrated with God. It's valid to be angry with God. But the point is, at some point, we have to come to grips with the fact he's in charge and we're not. And though we can't see it, he's doing it for a reason. And the point is, is look, those who through faith and patience keep going with God, submit to God, those are the ones who get what is promised. I don't have any idea why it took 34 years to God to, for God to give Abraham what he gave Abraham. Why couldn't he give it to him the first moment? I don't know. But the point is, is God's in charge and I'm not. Why haven't you received from God everything that God has promised, which is peace, joy, goodness, wholesome relationships, beautiful church to be part, participating in, uh, fulfillment, no worries. Why haven't you received from God everything that he's promised? I don't know why he's chosen to do your life the way he's chosen to do your life. I have no idea why he's chosen to do my life the way he's done my life. If I could see it, it wouldn't be faith. If it came right now, it wouldn't require patience. But the point is, is you and I have a choice. We can either get out of line or we can choose to submit. Grumbling and complaining about how slow the line is going Believing in our minds that the person who designed the, the, the line must be inept. That's not helpful. And the reason why I believe if you're disappointed or angry or frustrated with God that God brought you here this morning is not to tell you that waiting is not frustrating. It is frustrating. But for you to hear God say to you this morning, I swear to you, it's coming. I know that you're frustrated. I know that you're disappointed. I know that you're angry. I know that you want these things. I know that you want me to do this. I want to do it too. But this is set up. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me. And God brought you here this morning and God brought me here this morning so we can hear him say from his word, I swear to you, everything that you could ever want this line to turn into, it is going to turn into and more. Anything that you could possibly imagine, any good, what I have planned for you, so far beyond anything you can possibly imagine, but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to wait. It's coming. I swear it to you. I swear it to you. It's coming. And if it doesn't, well, God would have to cease to exist. It's impossible for it not to come. And if you're on a mini journey of faith, meaning you're in the middle of a valley right now or you're thinking about the bigger journey of faith, which is your Christian life, the word of encouragement from God to you today is, I swear to you, it's coming. I see you. I know you're frustrated waiting in line. I know that it's hard. I know that you've had just tastes. And thank God for those tastes because they do keep you going. But God is saying to you, listen, you're gonna have to trust me. Abraham thought that when he went into Egypt, he could bless himself better than God could bless him. He soon learned that is not the case. And when Abraham chose by faith to wait and to trust, that's when he inherited the promise. And wherever you are on your journey, I know, I know it's easy to think that if you could just get your way, everything would be better. I'm here to tell you, You've got to submit to how God has chosen to do your life. 
I don't know why you're waiting for God to give you a child. I don't know why you're waiting for God to give you a spouse. I don't know why you're waiting for God to heal a loved one. I don't know why you're waiting for God to show up and help you with the emotions that are overwhelming your life. I don't know why he's chosen to have you wait, but he is saying, listen, I see you, I love you, but you just don't know what I have planned for you. If you could see how big it is, how great it is, how beautiful it is, trust me, please trust me. Has God not been good to us so far? Have we not gotten tastes? Have there not been experiences of his grace and his mercy along the way? That's not the meal. Those are just the appetizers to tell you it's coming. Stick with me. And so whatever disappointment, whatever anger, whatever frustration you're feeling, I'm not telling you you shouldn't be that way. It is frustrating to wait. But I'm telling you, you have a choice. You can either jump out of line, but people who get out of line do not get the meal. You can stand in line and grumble and complain, but the people who stand in line and grumble and complain are just miserable while they wait. Or you can choose to trust, to wait, and to submit. And to say, I don't know why it has to be this way, but I do know the person at the front of the line who already went through, I know that he's told me it's good, that this is the right way to do it. And I choose to believe. I believe the word of God, the oath of God. Listen, God sacrificed his own son in part so he could not only make us a promise of eternal life, but that he could swear to it in blood. And that through Jesus Christ, who was given over to death so that the doorway through death might be open to us, God is now able to say to you and I, not only do I promise that heaven is coming, I swear it. I swear that it's coming. Please, God's saying, believe me. Please trust me. I'm not doing these things to harm you. I'm doing them for your good. Please, I know you can't see it. But let me be God and you be you. And I promise you, I swear to you, at the end, you will see how it all worked. Let's pray together. Father, many of us in this room are guilty of idolatry. We would never say it this way, but we think we're a better God than you are. We think we know better how our life should go. Lord, we are more willing to accuse you of failure than we are to accuse ourselves of failing. Lord, I pray that right now we, <clears throat> we would hear your word. We would hear your voice saying to us that you see where we're at. You see our discouragement. You see our disappointment. You see our frustration. And you've not condemned us. You've brought us here this morning to encourage us. Lord, I pray each person right now would hear your voice in their heart saying, please trust me. God, I pray for whatever disappointments that we're each facing down. God, that the tastes of heaven you've already given us through Jesus would encourage us to stay with him and to stay in line that we might receive what is promised. Thank you, Lord, that you are true and that you are faithful. If you weren't, where would we be? Help us, Lord. We want to submit. We want to believe. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.